What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath, and I am excited to share this episode with you. Had a great conversation with Ray Hartgen at Lead Data, and we are talking about how to manage a digital first buying journey. I think this is something we all need to be thinking about and considering especially during this time. He talks a lot about experience, intent signals, how we can communicate with potential buyers in an online world. Ton of good nuggets. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. Most importantly, tell a friend you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Excited to tackle a topic that I am super curious about. We're going to be diving into how to manage a digital first buying journey on today's episode. I am joined by Ray Hartgen, who's the head of content at Lean Data. He is someone who uh, I've been reading his stuff, and I said, this is the guy that I think can help us explore this topic. We met last week or a week ago. Time escapes me at this point and had a really good um, chat. So excited to di- jump into it. But before we do, Ray, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Brett. Uh, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I enjoyed our conversation last week, and looking forward to kind of picking up where we uh, uh, where we left off. And uh, you know, thanks for the opportunity. Sure thing. Before we jump in, I'd love for you to maybe give some give some uh, airtime to uh, Lean Data, your employer. If anyone's out there unfamiliar with who you guys are or what you do, maybe give them the old uh, elevator pitch on um, kind of what you're up to. Yeah. Uh, Lean Data is a uh, native Salesforce application. And, uh, you know, really uh, what, what we look to do is try to uh, to help companies um, ma- better manage their go-to-market uh, processes to turn these buyer signals that we're going to be speaking about today uh, into buying decisions, uh, hopefully buying decisions that are closed one for you. Uh, but, uh, so, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out, sometimes it's closed loss. But uh, the whole process is, you know, facilitating that buyer's journey and, and, and doing right by your prospective customer. And hope, hopefully that will be where we kind of guide our, our conversation today. We will. Um, I know you are kind of out. You ha- you mentioned Salesforce. I know uh, Dreamforce was not too long ago. You all had an event going on. Maybe share some perspective. I think people are now going back to events. I think the premise of our conversation is going to be this like digital first online, but you did have a rare in-person event during yeah. Dreamforce. Maybe talk a little bit about that and how it was getting in front of people once again. Yeah, it was cool. And I think there's this kind of pent up uh, energy for people to get back to uh, events. You know, there's, it's a great way to start relationships and to nurture existing relationships, right? There's that kind of that, you know, human to human interaction. So, you know, Dreamforce took place, uh, you know, probably two weeks ago now. Uh, maybe three. I don't know. Time time escapes me as well too. No, I think it's just two weeks. Uh, and uh, right alongside it, we have our annual event uh, called Opstars. Uh, and for the last two years, uh, we have been uh, a, a virtual event within Opstars. But you know, Opstars is a community for operations professionals. It's you know, buy ops for ops is uh, the way that it, it builds itself. And uh, Lean Data created that community. You know, eight years ago, I guess this is the seventh annual. Uh, Opstars conference, so uh, we still have a presence there. Uh, it's kind of you know, kind of like one of the the children that the company has uh, birthed, uh, right? Uh, so it was great seeing. Uh, you know, it's always good to see what's new coming up from Salesforce. The Trailblazer community uh, to me is so uh, inspirational, right? You know, it's everybody kind of working together to help one another out. 
Uh, and uh, and uh, hopefully the OpStars community can uh, do that exact same type of thing for those people that are in those operations professions, be it you know sales ops, marketing ops, rev ops, sales development ops, customer success ops, whatever ops that they might be. Uh, it's uh, it was it was good to get those personal uh, connections going again, uh, and you know building you know further in these relationships uh, so we can follow up on you know using technology like Zoom and so forth. Love it. All right, jumping into it. I think we, you and I can both, and probably everyone out there listening can agree that buying signals have always been um, important and probably a part of our process at some level. I think pandemic hits, we're all at home, we're all working from our home offices, we're all digital first. They suddenly all become everything. Um, and I think brands and companies start scrambling to try to figure out, okay, well, how do we get a better handle on the people that we're trying to reach now that we don't have these in-person events and we don't have those customer on-sites, those sort of things. So maybe just like talk a little bit about that. Just we had this massive shift. I've been working at home ever since this shift happened. We're all still, you know, doing our jobs as marketers, evolved a little bit, trying to get a handle on buying signals. Maybe talk a little bit of just about this shift and and what you've seen and some of the changes that that are happening. Yeah, you know, I think it's important to to realize that buyer signals aren't something new. Uh, right. There's always been these little signals and I, I liken them as clues uh, and footprints in the sand, so to speak, of a of a, a B2B buyer going through their buying journey. And that buying journey has changed quite dramatically, yet we as B2B marketers and sellers tend not to have changed. Right. You know, we kind of uh, have, have, you know, set things aside. We've we've built it up. But one thing that's kind of always been a common denominator is that uh, we as marketers and sellers have dictated the journey. It's like, you know, we run out there and we, you know, we find the future customer and we're walking them through our journey. Uh, like, like we're doing them a big favor. And in 2012, we were kind of doing them a big favor. You know, you jump back 10 years ago and things are kind of new and all this, you know, it's like, wow, I'm willing to be shown around by a company because this is way better than it was the old days, you know, way better than it was in 1982, 1992, 2002, Uh, you know, 2012 was great. 2022, it's a little different, you know, so 10 years ago, or, you know, probably a little bit less, we saw our B2B buying journey begin to migrate more and more digital, right? Uh, and the pandemic just accelerated that transformation. And, you know, anybody out there who thinks that a B2B buying journey is not decidedly digital first, you're either in a really weird kind of segment in an industry, you know, I can't even imagine what that is. Maybe it's like, you know, uh, road construction equipment or something like that. I don't know. You, you, you have a, a very specific niche or you're just not paying attention, right? Um, you know, a lot of studies out there show that uh, the vast majority of B2B buyers are well into their consideration phase before they ever engage with a human, with one of their, uh, with, with one of their prospective vendors. Uh, and, and uh, you know, 83% of the buying journey, according to Gartner's done completely devoid of any contact with the representative, much different than what just a few years ago. And, you know, in our dis- dis- discussion last week, you know, we talked about these, you know, changing B2B buying journeys are really driven from a changing B2C buying journey. You know, 10 years ago or so, uh, um, you know, B2C providers uh, realized that the way they needed to compete was through this kind of digital storefront. And I challenge anyone to present to me a buyer that would, a B2C buyer, a shopper that would trade their shopping experience of 2022 for the shopping experience that they quote, end quote, enjoyed in 2012, be it online or in store, things are completely different. And that, that B2C buyer, um, you know, one thing that, uh, that is common from all is that they've kind of taken control of their, their shopping journey. They tell 
you know, big brands, Macy Nordstrom's and smaller brands, uh, maybe, you know, a, a, a one person shop on, on uh, Etsy, for example, they tell them, they show them how they, that they want to shop. Th- those same B2B uh, shoppers are our B2B buyers, <laughs> you know, so uh, they have, uh, they have realized that, wow, if I'm spending 50 bucks on a B2C journey, uh, I get to dictate the way that things are done. And it's quite an enjoyable experience. And if I run into any friction point whatsoever, uh, I can easily bail out of one shopping journey with a potential uh, brand, switch brands almost instantly, pick it right back up, and then even get fulfilled even if I buy something halfway across the world, it'd be at my doorstep in 24 hours, 48 hours at the most, right? So they're bringing that in with a $50 expenditure journey, bringing it back to work when they're spending $50,000, maybe you know six figures, sometimes well into the six figures on, on some occasions, maybe even the seven figures. And they're thinking, why can't I have the same experience that I have in my B2C uh, life uh, you know, when I'm spending 50 bucks? And that's a question that a lot of us you know, start thinking is like, you know, you're right. What can we do to help facilitate this journey, remove friction points for the for the prospective customer, the future customer, uh, view that as a world-class customer experience and speed that journey up, hopefully into in our benefit. There was a lot there. And there's I, I a lot. Even... I'm sorry. I get <laughs> talking about this stuff. You know? no, it, no, I want to dig into a couple of things there. So you, you mentioned, you know, Gartner, there's research to back this up. We as B2B marketers and B2C shoppers, Everything you say, like I was nodding my head. Yes, like it's much easier for me to go out and grab my phone. And if my running, as a matter of fact, my running shoes got stolen off my front porch recently, which I don't know why people would want an old pair of running shoes, but I wanted to go for a run. So I reached my phone, bought a new pair of running shoes. And by the time I was done with work, they were on my front porch. And then I went for a run. I just thought that, that like thought, I thought about that a lot and just like how easy that was and how I was able to accomplish what I wanted to. And I think about just B2B in general, it's like you could you could literally, you know, go to LinkedIn and say I want to buy marketing automation software and I want to buy it right now and vendors would reach out to you, but then you and I'm just using marketing automation as an example, but vendors would reach out to you and then they would try to put you through your your pro, their process when you're you're saying like give me the proposal, I'm ready to sign. So I, th- I just find it interesting that w- so many of us are still stuck in our own ways of pushing people through our process and knowing the information that we know, knowing, especially in ourselves, the way we like to shop, we still are doing it the old way. So I'm curious, like, what are some of the things that you think as B2B marketers, we should be removing from our process or strategy based on like this shift that we're all experiencing? Yeah, you know, I think a, an interesting uh, thing that I'm still c- trying to come to terms with, you know, I think about it all the time. I, I have already said prospective customer, and I, at least I've changed my 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 uh, vocabulary to stay away from prospect. Nobody likes to be a prospect. You know, when I'm at work, I, t- I think about prospects all the time. But as a consumer or as a customer, I don't want to be thought of as a prospect. That already is a, a bad, you know, connotation, right? And so, you know, I've said prospective customer, but really what they are is future customers, you know? So when do we start thinking about people as their as our future uh, customer? And, we, and since we have ushered in this, you know, we, we have this we have a, a RevTech stack that is incredible, right? You know, there are so many wonderful, powerful tools, but we tend to apply them to a, a customer buying journey that is, you know, 
five years old or eight years old or 10 years old. It's not a, a digital first buying journey. It's not sometimes a digitally complete buying journey. We kind of fit into our thing. It's like, you know, pop onto our website and, hey, you want a demo? You know, it's like, well, I don't want a demo. Uh, remember, this is a decidedly digital first buying journey. This is the first time they've been there. It's like, I don't want a demo. First things first, what do you do? You know, it's like, okay, well, here's a, here's a paragraph. You want a demo? So, well, okay, you know, that it may have been a really good paragraph, but I don't think I want a demo quite yet. Oh, we then we please scroll down one more paragraph. Oh, you want a demo? You know, it's like, well, we'll back up a sec, you know, but you know, those are those are our best practices. You cannot find a web designer out there that says, hey man, you gotta have a you have to have a request demo CTA on every page. I mean, that's like that's a, a an every that's that's like in the book of things to do, right? Uh, but you know, how do we how do we usher people into uh, that we want people to, to request demos, of course, but you know, how do you educate them? How do you, you know, give them the content that way they want? You know, do they have questions? You know, how, how can we feed them, answer those questions for them in a really kind of like non-threatening way? Uh, you know, the, you know, think about you as a, as a buyer, um, you know, I think a frustrating experience can be, you know, a B2B buyer typically has bought a lot of different solutions in the past. Uh, and the first people that they interact with are uh, sales development reps who have never bought a piece of technology for a business in their lives, right? And this is a disconnect there uh, already. Uh, but, you know, how many times do you self-select out as a buyer uh, of a process just because you don't want to be involved in that process? And I'm looking right at those form fills on websites, right? You know, it's like, I really want this piece of content. Oh, now I got to fill out a form. So I know what's going to happen next. I know that my, my phone's going to ring just a couple of minutes. I don't, I don't even want to deal with it. So you go on. So, you know, think about those abandoned carts. It's really what they are, right? You know, just be the same thing as rolling into Target, begin to start taking things off the shelf, putting your cart, your shopping cart, and realize, yeah, you know, I, I don't like what's going on here. I'll just leave my cart. Couple of I love examples. it. Yeah, no, I, I, I love it. And I love the, uh, I've never thought the, about the fact that you know, I am always like SDRs are just doing their job, but you're right. Most of them have never purchased software before. And I it's just, slam I, on, it's not a slam on SDRs, right? But I mean, totally. there's a, there's an immediate disconnect right away. You know, the SDR is evaluated on, let's get a meeting for the AE, right? You know, it's like, that's how they're rewarded. Uh, that's mm-hmm. how, that's how they're paid in, in part case. But, you know, is that the next best step for your customer? Uh, you know, and, uh, and many times it's, it, can be something, you know, completely different, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, when do we start as, as B2B marketers and sellers thinking about, you know, how do we reward our SDRs on what's best for the customer, right? Uh, you know, I, I love this idea of this, you know, you know, CSAT score for your prospective customers that come in. We don't, we don't score customer satisfaction for uh, prospective customers. We do it for customers, but wouldn't it be kind of cool if uh, you began to look at what your CSAT is with all these digital touch points that you have. And then once you get into, you know, human, human engagement as well. I love it. Knowing what we know about just the buyer being in control and then you and your role as head of content, how are you thinking about where content fits into the buying journey? Where, where should it go? How should we be communicating through our content to people who are landing on our website or trying to find out more information about our, our companies and what they do? Yeah. And that's a, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. It's a, it's super complicated, I think, to execute upon, Um, you know, because content in your go-to-market motions, you know, sometimes it's the driver, 
Uh, but uh, most often, I think it's the fuel for the other uh, motions that you might have. And so when you you think about your inbound motion, uh, and you know, you know, predicated uh, quite a bit on search uh, and also you know other types of referral traffic, you, know, you need to have content there. You need to be able to deliver for these people who are doing their self you know guided explorations. Uh, but there's still a, a lot to be said for outbound motions. Uh, account-based motions uh, and the things like that. And, and as you get into bigger, bigger enterprises, when you start looking at opportunities, uh, you know, a, a, you know, the demand waterfall and things like that, and these large buying groups with lots of different personas, you know, there's a, a lot of touch points that a, a B2B seller needs to be having with a lot of different people and a lot of different personas, you know, spread out through the organization. You know, so what's the the content that you can deliver uh, you know, that sparks their, their interest, you know, may, you know uh, raises their awareness, uh, but then begins to educate them right specifically to their persona. You know, a, a person in charge of IT is going to have a, a different set of pain points that they want to settle and solve for than perhaps, you know, a uh, chief revenue officer, you know, the digital transformation executive, you know, they'll be thinking about things a little bit differently. And so, you know, that some of those great, you know, best practices of customized and personalized content, you know, but once you start spreading it out and you start seeing there's a lot of different, you know, points of engagement, be it inbound, outbound, account-based or what have you, uh, a lot of different personas. Uh, you just can't just throw this up as a dog's breakfast, you know, on your website too. You know, you need to have a, you know, a, a navigation path that, uh, that allows somebody to, to get what they need to get to, you know, grease the wheels for their, their buying journey. And if we as sellers can help them facilitate that buying journey, that's great. You know, I, I would love for someone to go through, you know, the lean data uh, buying journey, go through lean data and end up buying us. That'd be awesome. But it's also awesome if I get you to decide that somebody else is better than lean data too. Let's solve for the, the customer and get you out of this uh, noise, noise for us and noise for them, right? Let's, let's try to get this uh, done as quickly and as efficiently as possible, as valuable uh, to the prospect. And if you got the solution, you know, you, you're going to come out more times than not uh, ahead at the end of the day. It's, you know, make it easy for, for people to learn, make it easy to buy, and then do what you say that you can do <laughs> from, a, from a marketing perspective. I think I heard you call them uh, earlier, uh, footprints in the sand, clues left behind. Maybe so the audience is clear. Talk a little bit about just like put some definition around like intent signals and what what are the types of intent signals that we yeah, should be you know, looking for? Before before we get to the intent, I think you know take a little step back and and look at the lead itself, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know a lot of you know whether you are you know in a lead based uh, type of uh, organization or you're you know focused on accounts or opportunities or, or what have you, you know, eventually it kind of comes down to people, right? And you know, just a few years ago, a lead was just a lead. I mean, for a marketer, they're the most valuable thing in the world, right? It's a lead. Uh, it's a fantastic, you know, and you began to, you know, move them through until marketing qualified lead and sales uh, accepted leads and so forth. But, you know, these are really valuable folks, but really what they were um, was uh, a name, you know, an email address, maybe a phone number or something like that. And, you know, now there's solutions out there that, you know, immediately enrich uh, the data that you have, you know, you can have very small form fills now because, you know, these enrichment solutions uh, will just give a, a salesperson or a marketer all the data they might need. And so I, I think we're, we're very familiar with, uh, you know, studies that show, you know, salespeople only spend 33% of their day on selling related activities. Uh, that's because they're bogged down and trying to do research on leads or accounts or what have you. So, you know, think about how a lead has changed over the last couple of years. Leads much more than just a lead, much more than a name. We've got all this data. 
part of that data is intent data, right? You know, intent data we've had, you know, for sort of kind of years, you think of a, maybe a score from a marketing automation platform, you know, is, is sort of an intent data. It's like, wow, this person has progressed behaviorally to a, a point where we think that they need to go into the next stage of what we think the customer journey should be. Uh, you know, with uh, intent scores, you know, using solutions, say like six cents, you know, it's you begin to say like, wow, you know, people at this account, this account are engaged in the types of behaviors with your digital properties that indicate that now might be a time to surface this signal, these buying signals to take some sort of engagement action. What engagement action that might be? Well, you know, as marketers, we have all these plays that we've stashed aside. You know, we've, you know, marketing, nurture stream, sales, uh, you know, uh, engagement, uh, sequences and, and cadences, uh, phone calls, whatever. There's all these great plays that we have associated with a lot of different content. Let's just surface with that intent data. Let's surface those signals. Which ones are the valuable ones? Which ones fall within our ICP? Uh, you know, which ones uh, are, have that high degree of priority? And then let's attach those proper plays to speed that journey along, uh, help the customer. Out. I feel like sometimes we might feel as marketers, we could feel like we're on a little bit of data overload as we're trying to, to manage all of this. I guess, how should we be looking at once we are, have identified intent signals, buyer intent, and it's a part of our process when we're evaluating data, how, what, what kind of recommendations do you have around like how we should use it? Like how should we be using it in communication with the market, how should we be using it in communication with the set with, with our sales team? Um, any insights you have there? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the first thing is it relates, uh, is, uh, you know, are you collecting the data, right? You know, there's all these digital touch points your buyer has with, uh, with your, uh, with your brand and all these physical touch points is too. Are you collecting that data and you making it uh, accessible? I think that the second part is you, you should automate where possible. You know, I, I, I've maybe, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, automate it if you can afford it. But then I also am thinking, I, I don't know if you can afford not to automate. You know, once you get to just a couple of different people, you know, once you start dedicating headcount to processing information, it's, it's too expensive at that point in time. Uh, so, you know, think about, uh, you know, automating the manual processes that you have so you can pass the information, uh, the right information at the right time to the right person. Uh, or to the right automated play, uh, perhaps, and do that each and every time. So I think those are kind of those fundamental things. Is the data is out there? Are you collecting it? How are you ingesting it and surface management and bubbling those things up? And hopefully you're doing it in a way that's automated and that uh, can free your free your your most valued assets and your probably your most expensive, you know, uh, assets. Not from a financial perspective, but from a you know from a team perspective, it's your people. How can you free them up to do what they want to do? You know, we didn't. Nobody gets into sales because they want to be a data processor. You know, and you know, same thing with marketers. Nobody gets into marketing because they want to you know manually manually push around data and and decide like who needs to see this and what and when. And God forbid, if you do have a manual process and somebody gets sick or takes a vacation, and then what happens? You know, the entire go-to-market motion just goes up. Oh, we got to pause. Brett, Brett's on vacation. Uh, so everything, we might as well all take vacation for a week because, you know, that, that, that just doesn't work. If I ever build a team like that, that's relying on one person, I should be fired immediately. So I'm, I'm willing to admit that. Yeah. You know, if you have a, you know, as soon as you get to two people on your revenue team, you really should start, you know, automating. And I have been at companies where, you know, you've had people, you know, 
through the limitations of the CRM, right? The CRM is never perfect, right? <laughs> and uh, and there's a, just a lot of stuff to do. And when you start throwing people at solving your CRM issues and the, the flow of, of uh, records and the, you know the, the critical or, or maybe filling out fields and incomplete records, then uh, you've got opportunities uh, right away. It's, it's a painful process for you, which ultimately. Uh, is a painful process for perhaps your future customer who's you know sitting there bogged down in their in their buying journey because you just don't have your act together internally uh, being able to, to to solve. As we're rounding the corner on this conversation, I, I want to go back to the customer experience uh, nugget that you shared earlier about the cost per that B two C companies are spending on customer experience and how much better it is than what B two B companies are doing and. I'm just curious, like I've been at B2B businesses where you spend a ton of money, resources, and if I put myself in the shoes of the buyer, I'm like, really, we did that? I can't believe we did that. That experience sucked where, as opposed to some of the examples that we shared, just picking up your phone, clicking a button, and all of a sudden what we wanted arrives You know, the next day. It's crazy, the disparity. So I guess just for B2B marketers in terms of just like thinking about experience and investment, like what are some of your recommendations or things that we might be able to take from B2C or other areas to help kind of maybe lower the cost a little bit and level up the experience for the people that we're trying to reach? Yeah, you know, I think part of it is empathy. Uh, you know, it's, I think it very, was very easy for, I say, a retailer beginning to reimagine uh, the way that they, you know, help their customers uh, is because, you know, everybody who works in retail isn't just a retailer. They are also a customer. You know, they are customers of not only their company, but other retailers as well. So they knew the pain that a buying journey was. It's like, wow, you know, whenever I, you know, why can't this be simpler? You know, and once, you know, uh, technology, you know, got into the hands of customers, customers started picking winners or losers by the, by the ease of the shopping journey, right? And, you know, just take a look at brands, you know, right? Go back 15 years to the brands that used to shop, right? You know, uh, a lot of them don't even exist anymore. <laughs> and it's because they just could not transform to keep pace with the customers. There's not a lot of B2B marketers and sellers that are also B2B buyers, right? You know, I'll look at our revenue team and, you know, there'll be people that will influence and do things like that. But really, you know, the revenue team at just lean data uh, and this, and we sell and market to people like us. That's what I enjoy about working most at lean data is that I'm speaking to people like me in a lot of instances. But, you know, on our team, maybe there's like, you know, you know, two or two or three people that actually pull the trigger on uh, tech stack uh, solutions and another, you know, there, you know, a few people that provide, you know, influence and input, uh, but the rest of them are just customers of it. Right. You know, and so, you know, having a little bit of empathy to understand, I think that's a, a big part. Another one is, you know, looking at the, the change management perspective, right. You know, we, we have people who have built strong, successful careers of uh, places, you know, and, and do you want to be kind of like that first person that that steps over into the dark side and the unproven side? It's like we have grown our company from two people to 200 people over the last five years. And this is how we did it. So there's a lot of success to be to be put back on. And then you start thinking, do we want to change things around dramatically or, you know, is, you know, or should we do it incrementally? And and it's a it's a good question. I don't fault people for being risk adverse. You know, I, I think um, all of us in B two B sales and marketing, we, you know, will look at big enterprise customers 
as being particularly risk adverse. Uh, you know, there's a you know a big buying group and a big demand waterfall uh, as far as the number of people and the breadth. But inside there, you know, there's there's people's like, wow, you know, I'm at the enterprise level. You, you don't get there by accident. Uh, you get there through a bunch of successes. But uh, you, there's not a lot of tolerance for failure. And there's you know there's that safety net that you already have. And this is how we do things. And things haven't been that bad so far, right? Uh, so you know, getting people to see the change, uh, it will be I think interesting over the next eighteen months. Something that I, I, I'm most fascinated by is that there are technology solution. So there's technology solutions out there. I don't even know what category to call them, but they mask you as a buyer. You know, they allow you to you know explore and go through your buying journey anonymous. Uh, you know, so you're behind the shield of like this protective thing. So you know, you're looking at demos and and hot uh, sandbox environments and things like that. But the ultimate solution provider has no idea who you are individually. And when you think about that for a moment, why are there companies like that? Uh, that's how bad the B2B customer uh, buying journey is, is that we've created a cottage industry of vendor consolidation services that will protect you as a buyer. Uh, it's ridiculous, right? And yet somebody's going to make a boatload of money off of it. Uh, they'll probably go IPO and, and do all this. There's, <laughs> there's people out there. I'm just not beginning aware of them, but I'm thinking in 18 months, if that's the way people do things, it's a real indictment on us. You know, Can we afford to wait? to embrace our customer, their customer journey. I love it. Let's close it out with this. I'd love for you to give one piece of advice that you have based on maybe everything that you shared, or maybe something you didn't share about for anyone listening, who's trying to figure out or consider how to manage their digital first buying journey. What is the one nugget that you'd leave people with? Yeah, I'm not, I mentioned it earlier. I'm not suggesting that we, that we, well, no, I am. I, I, I'm suggesting that you just have an internal dialogue with your team is what if we stopped, we, we reinvented the KPIs for, for sales and marketing, right? Let's, let's step away from conversion and start looking at, uh, at CSAT for our prospective customer experience. Now, that's a big, bold step. It's like, hey, we're not going to start dealing with conversions anymore. But I do like having the conversation of, you know, if you have like a hot performing property and, you know, it's, con- it's conversion rate is 10%. You know, with 10%, what would that be like as a CSAT score, right? You know, uh, you know, we've talked, Brad, about how conversion is really kind of a proxy for customer satisfaction, you know, but you, you see a lot of steps that we have in buying journeys where you have, you know, conversion being at 1% or 3% or 10% or 33%. Uh, go over to walk, take a walk over to the customer success team and say, how would you like a CSTAT score of 1%, 3 3%, 5%, 10%, or 30%? They'd be like freaking out, right? So, uh, you know, if you can, if, if you can, you know, get your conversations to thinking, what would, what is our, our, our customer, our future customers satisfaction at these, these particular levels without having asked them, but if you can try to, you know, like, is it good or is it bad? Maybe even a yes, no. Right. Uh, then you can begin to see what are really value added steps in your processes for the customer. Uh, as opposed to, you know, what is just the way that we've always done things. Does that make sense? It does. Ton of great information and insights around digital first buying journeys from Ray. Ray, thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge. Lot to think about. Definitely a topic we should all be thinking about more and more. So appreciate the time. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity and, uh, and keep up with the podcast. It's good stuff. I love meeting really smart marketers, marketers with a ton of experience and are subject matter experts. And I think Ray is certainly one of them. One of the coolest dudes that I've met since been doing this show. 
Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More Modern Day Marketer next week.